time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. Been in the midst of a story here this weekend. It's been a story of God leading us to his heart. With four big ideas that we're going to commit to tonight. Passion, intercession, consecration, and mission. And realistically, I, 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 you, you, never, you can't plan what God's going to do. And I'm pretty amazed at the way that passion has started to infiltrate our heart this weekend. And we've grown in passion. Everything from Aaron talking about how massive and how big God is. Brent talking about how much God loves us. Doesn't hurt when you have Kim Walker Smith singing about his love for us. And Carrie Job leading us and desperation band Phil Wickham leading us we have spontaneous worship and you can't even start a session because you guys just want to continue to worship when you have people that have never worshipped before have always just kind of had their hands in their pockets standing still and this weekend many of you stepped into beholding the beautiful God for the first time in such a unique way Intercession. I think one of the things that I've loved about this weekend is I, at the four o'clock prayer meeting yesterday was fantastic. And many of you have prayed through the night. Some of you have been in the furnace prayer room crying out and praying. Many of you have prayed in your groups. I see you guys in huddles in your youth ministries, hanging out in parking lots and tents praying. And so many of you guys, yesterday we had a couple thousand of you that committed to go back and lead a prayer meeting at your local church or at your campus, or be a part of your local church prayer meeting. I think intercession is something that God's been doing here big time. Consecration, I loved Mark Batterson last night when Mark Batterson was talking about the way that it's so easy for you and for me to ask Jesus to follow us instead of us following Jesus. But the essence of consecration is that we're set apart unto him and where he goes, we go. What he says, what he wants us to do, that's what we're about. And one of the core identities of desperation is that we want to be a holy people. We want to be set apart. We want to be gods. We want to be different. In a wicked and depraved generation, we want to shine like stars. And I believe that we've, we've really hit on that really strong. And there's been so many of you that you've come up session after session after session to the altar to pray, to seek God. Sometimes when an altar call isn't even given, you guys just run up like wild stallions or mustangs. I love that. I'm so proud of you. I'm, I'm, I'm so impressed with the way that you've sought God this weekend, the way that you've gone after him. Problem, I think, is now we stand in a moment where we get to see if those things are real, where we get to find out if God is doing this work in us and if this is going to be lived out or if this is going to be just an experience. I hear people say all the time, hey, I don't want just another spiritual high and I always rebuttal with a little bit of irritation saying, I do. I want as many spiritual highs as I can possibly get, moron. 
I want to get as, as, as many spiritual highs as I can possibly get. And the reason why they say that is because they have a philosophy that fundamentally it means that it's going to go away. But I have a philosophy. It's this. I want as many spiritual highs as possible so that I can live it out with as much strength as possible. And I, 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 I want desperation. We want this event... We want it undoubtedly to be a spiritual high. You can write that down, put it on your forehead, mark it on your Facebook, I don't care. It, it, we do want that, but we don't want it to stop there. It cannot stop there. It must play out. The evidence of a good work of God in your hearts, it has to play out, not just in passion, intercession, and consecration, but you must develop inside of you as a Christ follower, mission. Say mission. Mission. You have to lock in with what God is calling you to do. What God is calling you to be. And when you leave these, I was going to say four walls, but it's like 17 walls or hexagon or whatever this is, octagon. When you leave this octagon, what is this? How many walls are there? 12 for the 12 foundation stones of the eternal city. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I have no idea how many walls there are. But anyway, when you leave this contraption, when you leave here, this, this is where we begin to see if it's alive inside of you. We must be what Jesus called us to be. Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We've met with Jesus. We've been hanging out with Jesus. Many of you have experienced the Holy Spirit in a whole new way. And it's now our opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to rest on us in such a way that we become witnesses. And so let's contextualize it a little bit and not say Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But for us, it's, we become witnesses from California to New York. We become witnesses from Texas to Michigan. We become witnesses in our world. We become witnesses by how we spend our money and if we take the gospel to these nations. We become witnesses. The evidence of the work of God in your heart this weekend is not how high you jumped, how loud you screamed. It is not those things. Oh, I love those things. And I've been jumping up and down at youth conferences for 15 years. And sometimes mistaken as a youth, even though I'm in my 30s. And I've been screaming at the top of my lungs for a long time. But the evidence is not in how you scream or sing or dance. It's in how you live. And we're leaving here on mission. Some of you will leave on here with great mission. Some of you may not. My passion is that tonight... We commit to be witnesses. That's where we're going tonight. When I think about being a witness, there's one thing, there's one characteristic that keeps many young men and women from being authentic witnesses. It's courage. So many are scared or fearful scared of what their friends will think of them. It's nice to be with my youth group. I got a youth pastor with a goatee and a cool little hat on, and he's real sweet to me, and he's nice. 
come here and I get ride on the van and you know we get like stop at gas stations and we sing worship music and we show up at the big hectagon building that's blue but what matters is when you leave here when you go back to your mission field when you go back to where God's called you when you go back to your campus and the thing that keeps so many young men and women from being witnesses is that they're fearful and they're scared of what their friends will think of them and tonight my prayer is that God injects inside of your heart courage so let's get started Acts chapter 4 Acts chapter 4 verse 13 and when they saw the courage, say courage. And I'll say it with kind of a snarl in your voice like Brit, courage. It's got to get in your throat a little bit. Look at the person next to you and kind of spit a little bit when you say it and say, courage. Good. Now lick your lips like this and their teeth and give them kind of Courage. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And when they saw, what was it about Peter and John when they saw the courage of Peter and John? When they saw that Peter and John, two fishermen, average, unschooled, ordinary, in our context, we would say, Medium intelligence, you know, average height. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, normal guys, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I see at this conference, I see four kinds of teenagers here. I see some, I see some that are just, just lost. They don't know Jesus. I don't see many of these here, but there are a few. You know many of them at your school. That's where they mostly hang out. And this, is, this chair represents the kid who's broken. He hides all of his insecurities and that he's mad at God and he thinks he's smart. He tries to act like you're dumb. He's usually so angry on the inside, so hurting, that he rejects even talking about the word, and he uses the word religion often. He's lost. And Jesus loves him, and Jesus died for him, and Jesus wants him. And the responsibility of reaching this man or this woman, whether 14, 15, 16, 18, 19, lies within you guys. And I've known kids like this. I remember as an eighth grader, I was trying to, I went to a public junior high and I went to reach out and minister to a kid in eighth grade. I remember trying to tell him the gospel and I said, I, as I did, I began to talk about Jesus. And he said, Jesus? And I said, yeah. And he said, dude, don't say that. That's a bad word. And I said, what? And he said, no, that's a bad word. You're not supposed to say that. You'll get, you could get in trouble with the teacher. <laughs> so, so distant, 
so far from understanding the gospel. No one had proclaimed it to him. And he didn't even know who Jesus was. And many of you live in disillusionment like that those people are rare and most people have, but I tell you, these are out there. These are your mission. We got more of these here at Desperation. You know what I call these guys? I call these guys church brats. Kind of punks. They got a little bit of the knowledge of the gospel, but they got no power. They don't really worship Jesus. They just use the youth group as a way to feed on their own lusts. They like the friendships. Typically, they're after the girls or they're after a dating relationship. They're there mostly to date, hang out, and party. Mom and dad let them come because it's a church event. But as far as pursuit of God in their own heart or opening up their heart to allow God to transform them, they've remained closed for years. They have heard, but they don't live. They could choose to live in ignorance. They choose to not respond to the gospel. You got this chair. I call these guys timid sweeties. Sweet Christian kids. They really love God. There's a big difference between this chair and this chair. In my view, this is where salvation happens right here. These people, those people are lost. They don't even know God. These people, they've got all the information, but they choose to keep their heart cold. But they're all around us. Right here is the salvation moment where you'd say, yes, I'm in. This is where the majority of desperation is, right here. Now, we don't, we don't feel like we are this on Saturday night of the desperation conference. But the evidence of who we are is not where we are on Saturday night at the desperation conference. The evidence is what we live later on. And so, if we're going to really talk about where we're really at, most of us live much like right here, timid sweeties. But we love God. We like the youth pastor at our church. We like church events. Really, church sometimes acts more like a subculture than it does necessarily that we are gathering with other gospel-bearing witnesses that are out to share the gospel on their campuses. And we go to church mostly because we like popping balloons with our butts and pizza. So we come to youth group and we sing songs and we play Chubby Bunny and we're thankful for the youth group trip. And if someone asks if you love Jesus, not only do you love Jesus, but man, you got the t-shirt. You paid extra for it. You're t- you're, you love God. You do. I mean, really. You're the first one down here when John Egan runs out here to sing. You love it. You jump up and down. Occasionally you get distracted and Instead of worshiping God and dancing, you're over here slow dancing with your girlfriend. But at your core, you love God. At your core, that's who you are. And we got a small band, but we're aiming for a big band. Right here is courageous witnesses. Courageous preaching witnesses of the gospel those that sit in this chair are bold as lions 
Those that sit in this chair, not perfect. Not even close. But they're not controlled by fear either. They don't care what people think of them. They sold their life. They've already decided to follow Jesus. And they live with the mission that Jesus has given them. They live on mission. They live on purpose. Tonight, where I'm aiming, is to get more butts in that chair. Where I'm aiming is more of you guys sitting right there. And I know, I know the temptation. I know that when you talk about courage, I, I, I know what it's like to have moments of fear. I know what it's like to say in this moment, I'm gonna go after God and I'm gonna be a radical and I'm coming after you! I'm coming after you! I'm coming after you! I know that. I know, I know, I know to sing that and to mean it. And it's not even, it's not, I mean, it's real. You, you meet, you, you feel it and you think it and your head is there and your heart is there and your friends are there and your youth pastor is like, and it's good. And then you go back to the scenario where it's your job to declare the gospel at your junior high or your high school and the moment comes, the opportunity, and, and this could be any opportunity. It could be sharing the gospel in the hallway. It could be someone has a conversation with you at a Bible study even. It could be inviting them to a Bible study. It could be, it could be anything. There's so many different ways. I'm not talking about a method, but just there's the opportunity to share the gospel. And in that moment, your heart starts to go... And, and right there, right there, that's the moment. That's the moment where you get to transcend fear and act out of courage. And in that moment, that's, that, that's the moment where those little tiny moments that you slough off and you go, oh, it's no big deal. No, th- that's the big deal. That's the moment right there. I remember I, I was a ninth grader and... Um, uh, I, I remember, my, I'm, a, I'm a triplet, so I was born with Deborah and Dana with two girls and born in a litter with some girls and I've been trying to, trying to, I've never worn pink since childhood because I'm trying to prove, you know, my masculinity, but anyway, so I, 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 I was born with David, Dana, Deborah, and then my little brother named Dan, still almost as big as me, but he'll get there in a few years, and, and so I, 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 I remember we, we were going to school with public junior high, seventh grade, eighth grade. We loved God. All of us did. Great parents taught us. We loved God. We were after God. Ninth grade, we had started a prayer meeting. We were meeting every day to pray. And the th- one of the weird things about me was um, I-, I-, I did some things right. Some things I-, I- some things I didn't do right. One of the things that was weird about me is I was kind of like Scrooge. I liked saving money. And so uh, when you're a triplet, you're- you always get the same thing, you know? So like, uh, my great-grandmother, she would always give us a $2 bill, you know, for our birthday, which was not much then either. But anyway, and so, <laughs> and so we, we, got a, we got a $2 bill every, and, and, my, and then my dad, if we could answer Bible questions, my dad would give us pennies. And so that wasn't much either then either. But, but my goal, my, I, I developed an aim, and that was, and I don't know where this came from, but one of my goals was by the time that I finished high school, I, I'm kind of, a, I, I set goal, I know it's weird to set this goal, but I had a goal, this is an ungodly goal, don't set this goal, this is an embarrassing moment for me, but I'm telling you this goal in order to make a point so that the story makes sense, I wouldn't kind of bring this skeleton out of the closet, but for the sake of the gospel, I'll tell you. So I, but I had developed this goal that by the time I was 18, I wanted to have in the bank more money than Dana, Deborah, and Dan 
all added together times three. And, 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 and because, because uh, my sister Dana, um, she always spent, you know, her, her money on like, on stickers and, De- and Deborah on, on food, but don't tell her I told you that. And, um, and my brother Dan, I have no idea. Uh, he, he just kind of got everything he ever wanted. But anyway, um, and that's actually true. And so... But, but, but I had developed this passion, this desire, because my, my first goal was I wanted to have more money than all of them, and then I, I reached that, and then I wanted to have all of theirs added together, I wanted that, and then I'd already done that, and so then I was like, well, I need double and triple, and so my, my goal was I'm going to have triple what they have all in their bank account by the time I am, I'm 18, so that was my goal, is when, I finish high, when I finish high school and it's time for us to be done with this house thing, I'm going to have three times the amount of all them added together tripled, and that was, that was one of my life goals, as strange as it is, I don't know who does that, but I did, and so, so in ninth grade, I was sitting at my public junior high, and there, we had a guest speaker, and we had, we had 1,500 kids in my public junior high, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, and a weird moment took place where uh, sh- this lady, and I can't, to this day, I cannot remember who she was, like if she was a counselor, or I don't know who she was, but she was this guest speaker. We had an assembly with the whole, with everybody there, and um, she said, um, uh, she, gave her, her, she, she gave her little spiel, and she said, at the end, I'm going to uh, hold up a $5 bill, and I'm going to ask one question about what I've talked about, and whoever uh, is the first to stand and answer that cr- question correctly I'm going to give this $5 to. Well, that motivated me. Uh, because I was like Scrooge McDuck, and I loved money. And um, so as weird as that is for a 14-year-old, I, I listened closely and was paying attention, and it was kind of sitting on the edge of my seat, you know, kind of like ready to hop, you know, whenever. And um, she got to the end, and she said, so the question is, and right when she said, so the question is, I, psh, I mean, I just jumped up. And she said, uh, young man, I haven't even finished the question. I was like, I know the answer. I've been listening. And she was like, okay. And so she finished and she said, what is the biggest mistake a person can make? That was the question. And I was like, what? That was in your talk? For the life of me, I couldn't remember that. But I, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm doing prayer meetings every day. I'm in this Jesus thing. And I, the only thing that the little Bible answer boy David could think of was, I mean, every, my dad would ask us questions all the time about God, all the time, all the time. And the answer, we, there was, if you ever just said Jesus, you always got it right. I mean, he'd be like, he'd be like, so where should we go? We'd be like, Jesus. He'd be like, that's good. We should, we should go. <laughs> he'd be, I mean, seriously, it, it, everything. It was like, does anybody know, you know, what my favorite day is? We'd be like, Jesus. And he'd be like, yeah, Jesus, you're my day. You're the new day. I mean, just, it, like, it didn't matter what, que- it, you can make my father happy as long as you answered everything with Jesus. And so that trained small minds that have remained small, that, 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 that trained small minds to just think Jesus when questions were asked. And so here I am in a public junior high, and the only thing that comes to my head, the only thing 
then I, I've got this moment because I'm thinking, now this could be a moment because I could really, I could really, I could witness to every single kid in my class. I mean, every single kid in junior high. And then at the same time, I'm thinking, and I could look like the biggest idiot in history too. You know, I'm just like, so it's that pitter-patter, pitter-patter, pitter-patter. So I put my shoulders back. And I said, to not make it, I mean to not, <clears throat> ninth grade. That's not true. I wouldn't even come close to puberty till like 18. But, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> But I lifted, I lifted my hand and I was like, to not make a decision for Jesus Christ. <sighs> Silence. And the guest speaker was in shock. And if you've ever seen a movie where it seems like time stands still, this was that moment for me. <sighs> I scanned the crowd, it's like everybody. She said, that's the wrong answer, but that's the right answer, so here's your $5. <laughs> and I, I, I only tell you that story because, um, you know, the truth is, is that sometimes when we're here and we talk about being courageous or we talk about going out and, and, and reaching your school, I, I sometimes think that we think... Like, you gotta, be, you gotta be Matt Pitt's personality, you know? You gotta, you gotta be a, a weightlifter, and you gotta, you gotta have all that, and you gotta just be, and, or, or, you know, or something like that. And the reality is, is that uh, God will use the craziest little moments, the craziest little environments. I remember my, my, my senior year of high school, this was a, 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 a crazy one. My senior year of high school, public high school, and, um, <laughs> and I got to, to, to pray at the baccalaureate event. And so it was, a, it was a public high school, but you had a voluntary baccalaureate and everybody went, it was still on campus. So a baccalaureate was huge. It wasn't as big as commencement, but it was big. Everybody would bring their family. And so uh, they had invited me to pray. And I was supposed to kind of do the token, you know, like, oh, great father, we humbly come before thee and ask for your blessing as we go into this world and fulfill our destinies. Amen. You know, something like that. But... But, but, but see, something crazy had been going on where um, there, there, I, I, had, I had just gone to a charismatic church for the first time in my life my senior year of high school. And, uh, and, and I didn't even know what that word meant. I mean, you could have said charismatic, you could have said chiropractic, it was all the same to me. I, I mean, I, it, it didn't, I, but, but I had gone to this church. And when you go to this church, this pastor who I respected big time, when you would go to his church, this is how he would pray. Hold out his hands like this. Come, Holy Spirit. Just come. And then you just wait. And the pastor would kind of make these little like... I'm not lying, my mother has this on video. 
So, this is a true story, Brett Hancock. This is Auburn, come on. So, so, so I decided, hey, all my friends are here. We got 600 graduates. All of their parents and grandparents and little old ladies that had come from Nebraska. And so, come on, Nebraska. And so, she walked up. David Perkins, do the baccalaureate. Please join me in bowing your heads. Come, Holy Spirit. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> come on, Sherry. So, so anyway. <laughs> so, so, I'm telling you, a sea of coughs spread through the auditorium. <clears throat> I mean, <clears throat> literally, the superintendent of schools for the district was sitting right behind me. And all of a sudden, he literally did this. He was like, I mean, I mean, a 60-year-old man is just like a wiggle worm, just like... And I, you know, I had a buddy, he was like my partner in crime, and he wasn't that bright. He sat down, he didn't ever make honor society. He was like in the back, no stripes, no nothing. And I looked at him, I was like. (laughs) He's like. (laughs) (laughs) Funny thing is, you know, believe that uh, we have in church, for so, we've gotten so used to the way that we do church and the way that we think we're supposed to be a Christian sweetheart on campus that we, we have no courage. We don't take any risks. And, and I just want to give you permission tonight. I know, I know that some of those things are, sound wild and kind of nuts. But I believe that it's important for you to begin to walk in courage and start taking risks. For you to step out of your comfort zone, look at your campus, figure out a strategy, figure out how God wants you to reach your campus and go do it. Because you know the truth is, is that your campus can be reached. Do you know that? Do you know that God, it's not like, hey, it's not like, hey, it's just a nice idea. When you look, when I look, I'm just, when I just look at my number of years working in ministry, I know young men and women that have led hundreds to Jesus on campus and literally transformed the spiritual environment on their campus. It is possible. It's not kind of theoretical, nice church camp talk. The problem is that many of us are sweeties and timid. The problem is that most of us look at going into our, the land of our campus and it looks scary. 
And as long as it's summer break and I'm with my youth group and we're up in the mountains of Colorado and there's, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a wild man named, you know, Matt Pitt screaming and you've got, you know, you've got all these worshiping, all that. As long as it's all that environment, then I'm in. But if you're not worshiping Jesus and going after this thing with every, everything you have in that environment, it's evidence you're not in. You're not in. I want to read to you out of Numbers chapter 13. And this is an intriguing story because this is where God has already promised Moses the promised land. And Moses sends in 12 spies to go into the land to scout out the land. So just listen to this story, Numbers chapter 13, verse 27. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land, so Moses sends the 12 in, and now the 12 come back. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Malachites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Sweeties, I'm so scared, Moses. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and possess the land, for we can certainly do it. But the man who had gone up with them said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land. They had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Moses, there's no way we can do it. We can't go in. We can't possess the land. We're scared. Yes, we know that it's promised. We know that God has promised us the land. But have you seen how big they are? Have you seen the land? Have you seen it? It's too scary. Caleb comes back. We can do it. We can do it. And you know, the interesting thing is, when I read these names of these guys, these great spies, you know, that Moses picked out, you know, it's like, we, we got anybody in, in this house, anybody here named Josh or Joshua? Raise your hand. You named Josh? Hey, yeah, we got lots of Joshua's, all right? There you go. Joshua? All right, we got a Joshua? Joshua, all right, so if you're a Joshua, say, huh? All right? Anybody named Caleb? If your name's Caleb, say, huh? No, it's just sitting like, don't lie to me. Your name's Caleb. Hup. All right, we got some Caleb's in the house. All right, I'm just interested if we have anybody here by the name of Shamua. No, no, seriously, you guys are a bunch of crazies. I, I, I want you, I, if your name is Shamua, is anybody named Shamua? No, there's, a, there's a, anybody here named Shaphat? No? No? How about, do we have an an egal? Egal. Not a gal or an eagle, but egal. Or maybe you go by egal or iggy al. Palty. Or maybe palty. No? Gadil. Amiel. Sithuer or sewer, depending on how you say it. Anybody? Nobby. We got a Nobby in the house. Ghoul. Do we have a ghoul? Okay. 
These are the names of the cowards. These are the name of the ten men. Can't do it. There were two men, not famous at that point, now ultra famous, not known at that point, now ultimately known. Now they've got, you know, young men in this room named after them, book of the Bible after them. I mean, we got a lot. And you know what the distinction between them? The difference between Shamua and Nabi and Sethur versus Joshua and Caleb? Courage. Courage. You see, because they were not, it's not like Joshua and Caleb were like, we are rock stars, we are strong, we are awesome, me and Josh will go. And Caleb's like, come on, Josh, these losers, you know, they're not, they don't lift the weights that we do, they're not as cool as us, they don't have the confidence as we do, they have not listened to as many, uh, you know, self-promoting we're rock star tapes as we have. I mean, no, no, they're not as cool as, no, 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 no. This is not what's going on in the heart of Joshua and Caleb. What's going on in the heart of Joshua and Caleb is Joshua and Caleb have been with Moses as they leave out of Egypt and walk go on their way through the desert on the way to the promised land and they know who their God is because all of a sudden Moses steps in and I don't know the age of Joshua and Caleb when Moses came into Egypt and said, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, plague. Moses says, Pharaoh, let my people go. Plague. Moses says, Pharaoh, let my people go. No. Plague. Moses says, Pharaoh, let God's people go. No. Plague. I mean, if you're Joshua and Caleb and you're watching Moses come to town, you're like, hot. Oh, this guy's tough. This guy's got, I mean, this guy, this guy's got a big God. He just says, he just says, fine, I'll get you. And all of a sudden, boom, gnats, boom, flies, boom, boils, boom. Well, I don't know. What are all the things? Are people, all of it. They're like, wow. And all of a sudden, okay, fine, Pharaoh finally lets him go. The people of Egypt, the people of Israel begin to go as the Hebrew children into the desert. And God says, hey, I'll take care of you. I know that there's a Red Sea, but there it is. And they walk on dry land. And Joshua and Caleb, they're probably about 11 or 12 years old. 11 or 12 years old, And they're like, dang, this is cool. God is big. I mean, they're looking at each other. I mean, they're high-fiving each other probably, you know, junior high. And they're like, dude, this rocks. Then they get into the, they, they get into, uh, the desert a little bit. God starts feeding them literally food from heaven. I mean, if you get up in the morning... You got food, man, floating, I mean, boom, hot dog, that's all, not hot dog, manna, but they, manna from heaven, hey, I'm thirsty, God, water from a rock, God, God's given us a drink from a, it's like a drinking fountain, only bigger, what is it? It's water, coming out of a rock, rock on. I mean, literally, dude, I'm sorry, that was bad. I didn't even plan that. I promise you, some of these things, I'm, I didn't plan the hot dog thing. I don't, I'm not trying to be cheesy. It's just happening. So, but, but so literally, so, so water comes from the rock. Then all of a sudden, God's leading us. And how does God lead us? He, we have above us a pillar of cloud by day. And he's showing us the direction of where to go. Why? Because this whole thing is he's taking us to the promised land. He's feeding us. He's taking us through the Red Sea. He's literally giving us water to drink. He's taking care of us over and over again. Day after day after day. Dude, I can't see. It's night. Fire by night. I mean, we're talking like God is taking good care of us. God has made a promise to us. God has told us that we can take the land. And so, my goodness, God is big. God can do awesome stuff. And they're like, well, I and when they come and they look at these guys and they say, Moses, we can do it. They're not saying, 
You know, Moses, we've been, we've been bench pressing. We think we can beat the Nephilim. I don't know if you've seen Caleb's triceps, but it's, it's there. No. No. You know what they're saying? The essence of courage. The essence of courage is trust in God. The essence of courage is I, I know his power and I know who he is and I've seen him work and I trust in him and I don't know how it's going to happen and I, didn't, I don't know, I, I have no idea, I don't know how, I don't know how it's going to happen when we get to the city, there's some big walls there, but I'm, you know, who knows, maybe God will knock them down, I don't know, they didn't know that, maybe they'd melt like wax, who knows in the God story what God could do, maybe they'd float up to heaven, I don't know, maybe they'd turn into ice cream, it could have been anything, but, but, but they said, I don't know, surely, surely, we can do it. An essence of courage is in that moment. See, guys, courage is not a personality. Some of you think courage is someone with a, with a personality that's correct. No, no, courage is the man or the woman who you, you feel fearful or you feel scared, but it doesn't control you. You make a choice to take the risk in the midst of that moment and you walk in faith and trust even though every, everybody has moments of feeling fearful. Everybody has moments of feeling scared. The issue is, does it control you? Or are you obedient to the gospel? Or are you obedient to God? Because 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong. Half the men that God has called and ordained to be a burning and shining lamp on their campus are consumed with every other idol, from girlfriends to media to lethargy to, yes, even sports. And I don't know who you are, but I'm just wondering what happens, what happens when you go from being the kid who lives with those idols and lives in the culture that says, here, you. You're a teenager and we're afraid that you're gonna do bad things. And we pity you because you're in puberty. So, we're gonna create a hundred different clubs at your school. We're gonna have all these different things to try to keep you busy so that you don't do bad things. This is American culture, this is what it says to you. So here you go, here, do, go ahead, do four different sports, yeah. Try to be the president of drama club, German club, pep club, geek club, and squad club, and key club, and all the other things. I mean, just go for it. And here's, and, and I'm not putting those things down, I'll, I'll get to that, I am for a moment, but I will, I will resurrect myself in a moment. All right, but listen, here's the deal. Here's my problem with what's going on in American culture. Everybody's afraid that you're going to, because you don't live on mission, because you don't have a purpose, let's try to just give them something that's not bad to do. Let's give them something just good to do so that they don't end up messed up. And in that, your heart gets ripped out of you. Because you got ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, you got 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, you got these incredible years where you are, honestly, you can think like an adult, I mean, 
kind of, almost, never mind. You, <laughs> almost. You, I mean, you're, you're really close to adulthood. You, you've, you can, you can. And what happens in our culture is they say, all right, we're scared to death of what these kids are going to become. So let's create the whole town revolves around their sports. The whole, the whole community is into the dramas, the musicals, the, um, let's have them, let's have like all the girls, you know, like uh, practice every day to do a five minute little dance on Fridays. And let's have it consume their life, you know, because we want them to not do bad things. And you know, if I wasn't a Christian, I think it's awesome. It's like the YMCA, you know, it's a good thing, you know? Keep you from doing bad things. The problem is, is that I'm a Christ follower. And sometimes the good is the enemy of the best. And I'll tell you this. I remember I was 16 years old, sitting at a Burger King with my dad. And uh, we, were, we were sitting there talking and I was involved in, I won't take the time to explain, but I was involved in this much stuff. I mean, just crazy all the different things I was doing. I was busy from literally 6 a.m. till late at night every night. Just, I was involved in every activity in my school, my church. I was just doing, I was just doing so much stuff. And I just remember sitting with him over a Whopper with cheese. He had a Whopper with cheese, no onions. And I remember sitting at this Burger King. My dad said to me something that changed my life. It literally changed me. I mean, I, I was there. I was this nerdy 16-year-old kid, mullet, braces, <laughs> that kid. You should see the pictures. It's embarrassing. And Dan, do not put them up on Facebook. Uh, my brother has access to our childhood pictures, and it's killing me. But anyway, so we're sitting there at Burger King, and my dad says to me, David, as I listen to you, I need you to lock in with this. You really don't have time anymore for the good things. If you're going to reach your campus for Christ, you only have time for the God things. And, and, and I, I remember at 16 that I got it. I saw that. And I saw it. And I started to shave off some of the good things. I was a part of some good things. But, but what a courageous witnessing declarer of the gospel is about, I, I, I want you to give me a one-year trial. Just this one year. Just one year. All right? If I'm wrong, your money back. Whoa. Don't take me literally on that. But... One year, one year, you get this one year. I'm just, I'm just asking you to commit to one year. And I mean, seriously, like, it doesn't I mean next summer, you can be like, didn't work, I'm out, check out, no, oh, but I'm asking you for one year. Where instead of allowing American culture to be your God, you make God your God, and you decide, let's see, should I take what American culture says and say, try to be cool and be the cool cheerleader, football, pep club, squeak club, whatever it is, is there one called Squeak, Squeak Club? Oh, that, no. Pom Pom? Glee Club. Yeah, that one. Squeak Club, Glee Club, whatever. Um, thank you, Dan. You could preach this better than me. All right, so. One year. One year where you say, this is the year where I'm going to narrow my interests and I'm going to take the gospel seriously. And instead of being about trying to do all of these different things. I'm going to give my time to reaching souls. 
I'm going to give my time, and I'm going to start prayer meetings on my campus. I'm gonna, and, you, and now listen, you may, it, it, that may lead you. God may lead you to say, the way that you're going to do this is you need to go be in, in Glee Club in order to reach the Gleers. You know, you need to, you need to do that. That's how, that's why I want you to be in it, but you're on mission for Jesus. And the reason why you're there is not to become the president of the Glee Club or be the top of whatever, but because you're there to literally take the gospel to them. And let me tell you this. If you will do this, this is the essence of Christianity. This is the essence of what we're called to. And I know I get lots of people mad at me. They say, David... David, I just think it's so wrong that you pick on sports because I'm an athlete and I, that hurts my feelings. I'm not picking on you. David, I just, I hate it when you say to, you know, maybe I should quit the band because I'm really good. And so, I'm, I mean, if you've ever seen me on my trombone, I'm a rock star, you know, like, and, you know, and, and David, I, I, wish, I wish you wouldn't make fun of German club because Brickensy Deutsch and I'm cool and I'm the vice president and, and, and David, I just, you know, whatever, all that. I get, I get that all the time. And I, listen, so hear me, hear me at my core. I am not, what am I not saying? I am not saying those things are bad. What am I saying? I am saying that you do well to come before Jesus, the God of the ages, and say, all right, in eternity, forget eternity, 10 years from, no, don't forget eternity. All right, that was rewind. A decade from now, a decade from whatever age you are, can I tell you this? A decade from where you're at right now, nobody remembers Glee Club. Nobody remembers, unless you're in the NFL, the football players. Nobody remembers how great you were at cheerleading. I know you think they will because you think you're awesome, but nobody knows. A, a decade from now, most, never mind, but it, it just changes. They don't, oh, there she is. A decade, when you're, when you're 28 years old, it, 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 everything's changed by then. And so what I'm asking you to consider is I want you to think about what happens. Put all of your fears aside. Take Jesus at his word. Make this next year about one thing. I'm going to obey Jesus. I, 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 I'm going to take the good news of Jesus, the gospel, to my camp. And that could be lots of different things. I mean, I've seen kids that have done all kinds of different things, creative ways, everything from, from uniting churches for a big event to prayer meetings on campus to joining and just saying, I'm going to focus on these five guys to get saved and I'm going to do everything that I can. And so I do go ahead and join the track team because they're on the track team but, and I'm going to run track because they're up and I want to reach them for, but that's what I'm, I want you to lock in one year and may, I am saying with all of my heart and I, this bugs me, I am saying that you intentionally get rid of some of the things that fill your plate, that you come before God. And on a Wednesday night, you're like, I would worship, and I, I'm just so busy, though, but so I got so much on my head. And you got all the reasons why you're filled with lethargy and you're lukewarm, and Jesus is going, I did say that I will spit that out of my mouth one day. Ooh, sure is quiet in here. Can you imagine 
Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, they've hung out with Jesus. They've been with Jesus. They've talked with Jesus. They were there with Jesus when he fed the 5,000. They were there with Jesus when he healed the lame. They were there when Jesus preached the good news of the gospel and when Jesus said, come unto me. They were there with Jesus when he preached the Sermon on the Mount. They were there with Jesus when literally he died on a cross and then rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. Can you imagine that? You watched him die, you watched him rise, and then you watched him float up. And you're like, no, grabbing his ankles because he's your best friend. And he goes, anyway... If you had those experiences where you had been with Jesus, where you had been with him and you knew him, you would not be timid. You come and they say, hey, stop preaching. And, they, and you go, I cannot, I cannot stop talking about that which I've seen and I've heard. They come to you and they say, shut up, be quiet, stop. And you say, I cannot. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. I used to be a fisherman. I used to be just kind of hanging out. And now all of a sudden, Jesus told me that on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to overcome it. No, 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 no. I cannot stop. I cannot be quiet. I know that he, I believe and know that he is the Holy One of God. And I, I'll tell you what I am. I am a witness. You know what a witness is? A witness is someone who talks about what they've seen and what they've heard. Well, let me tell you something. You came to desperation this year and now every one of you are responsible because you have seen God. You have encountered God. You have heard the voice of God. And now you become a witness. from now 4,000 witnesses across the nations that are declaring the good news of the gospel that voluntarily decided I'm going to take a year I'm going to go and I'm going to forget I'm going to forget some of the things that maybe even who knows church culture mom and dad culture they're going to have a hard time with (laughs) courage. Yeah, but you're, but, but you're really good at glee club. Yeah, but you know what? When I stand before Jesus one day, when I stand before him, all that matters is how much love I cultivated for him and how many people I brought with me. And on that day, on that day, I promise you, your bump set spike doesn't matter. On that day, your RBI average doesn't matter. On that day, I'll tell you what matters. Did you know him? And how many did you bring with you? believe this is the year for you to preach. Say preach. Preach the gospel. To preach it. Now I know when I say preacher, a lot of different images come to your head. You got some weird images. Maybe like some of these. You kind of got crazy images that come to your head. And that is not me. That's my brother Dan. (laughs) Just kidding. I don't know. I, I don't know what images come to your head when you picture a preacher. You know, maybe it's Maybe it's these guys that are in crazy suits. Let's keep showing the pictures, guys. Just bring them a little faster. Maybe some psycho like that, you know? Who knows? Some, or, well, some, some guy like that, you know? Maybe like that guy. Maybe like that guy. <laughs> I don't know what you picture. 
Those are some of my best buds. <laughs> I just had to throw them under the bus. That's my love language. You know Gary Chapman's book, Love Languages? Mine is I make fun of you. That's how I tell you I love you. <laughs> Except for you, Renata, of course. Okay, so here's the deal. I, I believe one of the things that's, that's, that's happened in our culture is we have developed this smug, wrong spirit towards preaching the gospel. It's this idea, like, like we got all the reasons why we don't want to actually preach the gospel. I mean, like, tell people about Jesus. I mean, when I talk to people, they're like, I, I, I don't really like to look at people and tell them about I, Jesus. I got other ways. I'm like, like what? And they're like, I, I like finger paint the resurrection scene, you know? And I'm like, what? No, 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 I, no here's, what, here's, here's how I preach the gospel. I don't, I don't really preach the gospel. I'm a barista, and so I just try to make the cross and the foam on the latte, and I hand it to them, and I just, I don't know if they'll ever look at it, but that's the way that I preach the gospel. I don't know, man. I mean, I, 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 I like to smile a lot. You know, I don't want to be, like, offensive to people, so I'm just going to smile at them and hope that they feel Jesus ooze out of me. Huh? What? What? You know, to preach the gospel is not optional as a Christ follower. I mean, if you just read Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, verse 7, as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached. When I say preach, you better say preach with me. And this gospel of the kingdom will be in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Mark chapter 3 verse 14, he appointed 12, designating them apostles that they might be with him and that he might send them out to Acts chapter 8 verse 4 those who had been scattered the word wherever they went Acts chapter 9 verse 27 but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles he took them, he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 28, verse 31. Boldly, boldly, and without hindrance, he the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 9, 16. Paul says, yet when I I cannot boast, for I am compelled to woe to me if I do not. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. The word be prepared in season and out of season. What he said, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, he says, woe to me if I do not preach. Whoa. I mean, what if we check that? Woe to us. Woe to David. Woe to you. Woe to us. If we, I'm talking about, yes, preaching. I'm talking about you using your vocal cords, getting your tongue out. Yeah, everybody grab your tongue. Come on. Don't grab somebody else's. It's just yours. All right. I'm talking about preaching. I am not talking about finger painting. I am not talking about, well, David, I just, um, you know, I make designer jeans and, 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 you know, if you look somewhere, you can see Jesus down here and because I put like a profile of a man with a beard and, and, and I'm like, I don't see it. And well, it's, you got to kind of look cross-eyed and wait till you're real tired. What? Shut up. Yeah. The bottom line is. The bottom line is, is we do not have an option. 
You do not have an option. I do not have an option. We are called. And I know, and I get this all the time. Well, what about when St. Francis of Assisi, you know, he said, he said, you know, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. And that's our reason why we take that from that saint. And I've met so many people, they take that line and that's their number one reason why they do not preach the gospel. And they're sweethearts and they do nice things and they don't preach the gospel. Let me tell you something. You know what's so funny about that? You know what's so funny about today, present day people saying, well, well, um, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words, is that St. Francis of Assisi was a preacher. What he did, he was a preacher. You can read him. He preached the gospel, preached the gospel, preached the gospel, preached the gospel, preached the gospel. And what he was saying is, hey guys, let's start doing some good works. Let's start taking care of them. Come on. But he kept, pre- he was a madman preacher. He preached. He wasn't like this. Hey, you're gonna, you're gonna, I'm, no, I don't want to say anything. I'm going to wait till you talk to me. You know, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. No, he was a preacher. Everybody's preaching. You pay attention, everybody's preaching. Oh, preaching is not going out of business anytime soon. People, radio anchors, they're preaching. Fox News is preaching. CNN's preaching. Oprah's preaching. Miles Cyrus is preaching. Everybody's preaching. They're saying, here, here's what I believe. Here's my message. I might say it through a song. I might say it through a documentary. But oh man, people are preaching everywhere. Preaching isn't going anywhere. I know people got a problem. They say, don't preach at me. Everybody's preaching. The question is not, is preaching going out of business? No, 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 no. Preaching is here to stay. The question is not if it's going out. Everybody's a preacher. Everybody's saying something. Everybody's got a message. The question is, are you preaching the gospel? What are you preaching? The question is, what on earth are you preaching? What is alive in your heart? What, what takes place in here? What are you willing to give your life for? What do you believe in? What are you about? We are about one thing. It's a person. He's a man. He sits on a throne. He has eyes like fire. He's coming back for us. His name is Jesus. Friends, if you will step out of the cultural norm and you'll be a map pit that leaves all of his friends and all of his friends forsaken, but he goes with whoever he can to pray in a basement, if you go and do what God's called you to do, you know what happens to me when I'm around Matt Pitt? I get courage. You know what happens when I get around Britt Hancock? Courage. You know what happens to me when I get around Tyrell Conus? Courage. You know why? When you walk in courage and you've got something to die for, you've got something to live for, and you take the gospel for what it's really about, people will come around. I've watched it for years. I watched it in junior high. I watched it in high school. I watched it in college. I'm watching it right now. When you take a stand and you say, this is what I'm about, and this is where I'm going, people will come out of the woodwork on your campus and they will stand with you. People that you had no idea they were ever saved. It's 
It's like the day on sea at the pole, where you go to sea at the pole and you're like, holy smokes, I didn't know any of these people were saved. You say, okay, here's, what, here's the plan. If you're with me, here's where we're going. We're going to pray every day. We're going to tick, 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 tick. And some people will be like, oh, don't be that baby. And you'll be like, fine. And one little nerd and one little girl that's got a crush on you will go. said courage is contagious when a brave man takes a stand courage is contagious when a brave man takes a stand the spines of others are stiffened let me tell you something friends we don't want that we don't want that This is who we are. We are courageous witnesses. And we give everything that we have. And we give all that we are in the days that we have, in the minutes that we have, in the high school days that you have, in the junior high days that you have, so that you can reach that person. That's our mission. If you're a warrior, come down here. You want to be a courageous Christian, come down here. Your witness, your preacher. Amen. It's the whole house. all of us. Who knows what God will do a decade from now? If you narrow this, if you narrow your life and you focus, who knows what God will do? I know right now I'm supposed to have you pray, but to be honest with you, I want to see you're serious I don't want you to pray right now if you're in as a physical demonstration that this is real in your heart I'm going to ask you audibly out loud wherever you stand I'm going to ask you to begin to preach the gospel I know you got people around you I know everybody here is saying I'm going after this but you need to practice and so don't I, I, I want you to pray. I want you to pray. Whatever's in you, whatever's in your spirit, whatever's in your gut, you may, all you may be able to, be able to say is, Jesus is awesome. What's up, man? Jesus is awesome. Dude, I don't remember. Great. I love that. You may have lost your voice, and it may sound squeaky, and all you know how to say is, Jesus. That's fine. <laughs> Thank 
give you a couple minutes and I want you to pr- try for two minutes. God hears you. God hears you. And I want you as a way of saying to God, God, I don't want to live for myself. I want to preach the gospel. I want to be it. I want to be an actual witness. Talk about you. I want you to be so alive in me that it's what spills out when I'm around other people. When I count to three, I'm going to give you a couple minutes and I want you to use your vocal cords. I want you to actually talk. I want you, don't finger paint, don't massage the person next to you and call it the gospel. None of that junk. I hate all that junk. I want you to actually preach the gospel. Whatever you can. Whatever scriptures you might know, if all you know is Jesus, Jesus saved me. Jesus saved me. Then you got a testimony and that works. If all it is is Jesus saved me, Jesus saved me, Jesus saved me. That's probably the best testimony you can have. One, two, preach. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did. Because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.